0: Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com.
1: My name is Salvador and I'm 39 years old. I graduated high school in 1998. I grew up in Southern California in a little, not so little city called Whittier.
0: This interview was recorded in September of 2019 in Oakland. Be advised, this interview includes mentions of sexual assault and suicide.
1: Whittier's more Orange County than anything else, and if you know anything about Orange County, you don't ever want to say you're from Orange County. When I was growing up there, a little more conservative, like more middle-of-the-road conservative. It was also not uncommon to see like our landlord uh, put up signs that were very anti-gay when like propositions would come up. My parents are first-generation Americans. My dad immigrated here from Mexico in the 1970s. And then my mother immigrated here from El Salvador during the same time. At the time my mom was a single mother. She had my, old, my eldest brother. When my mom and dad met, they ended up having me and my twin. I have a twin brother in 1980. And we were the first American born babies in the family. When I came out of the closet, I had no idea that my twin brother was, you know, queer as well. Like, my dad didn't care. I came out to him about a year after I came out to my mom. So, like, I don't think I really phased him. I think he's always known. My mom, on the other hand, pure denial when I told her. At the time that I came out to her, um, genderqueer identity for, like, gender was not even on my radar. Um, I just thought I felt differently from other people. And at the time before pansexual even came into my lexicon, I, I knew to use bisexual, even though that never really fit. And I think for my mother, years later, she would tell me that it really confused her to try to comprehend how I could be attracted to both, you know, both genders. What I mistook as her being ignorant and not accepting was really my mom just getting scared about seeing how queer people are being treated around her and her thinking about how people were going to treat her kids like that, too. I was around four or five years old uh, when my parents talked to us about sexual reproduction um, in a way that four or five-year-olds could understand. They talked about um, that a sperm comes from a man and that It swims to a woman's egg to make a baby. Our parents described it in a way that didn't involve any like shame or, you know, disgust about human anatomy. I think they kept it a little bit clinical because we were so young, but also because I I don't think that they wanted to like paint such an abstract picture about it that we would Still have questions about it later. But you remember that there was a time when I was about five or six years old that by some freak accident I discovered the beginning of masturbation. And I remember I was in my bed and I just remember like vigorously pulling back on my foreskin. And I mean, when you're five and six years old, you're not going to get an erection like you are, like you do when you're an adult. But I remember just like doing the whole like. Like I was holding my foreskin with my with my fingertips and I was like, and I don't know if it felt good, but I knew that it was like, it was a new sensation that I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And my mom came in the room and she said, my family calls me Eric. Even to this day, they call me Eric. It's my first name, but I go by Salvador because um, that was my father's name. And ever since he passed away, I do it to honor him. But I remember my mom said, "Eric, ¿qué estás haciendo? Eric, what are you doing to yourself?" And I remember being like, <gasps> "Like, I obviously didn't come, but I knew that I did something bad because my mom was so shocked. She had this look of horror and shock in her face. And I don't know if that was the impetus for them talking to us about the birds and the bees." or if it happened after or whatever and stuff. But I remember there was that incident that happened. And I think I just like took that memory and just put it in the back of my mind until, I don't know, like one day I just thought about it. I was just like, oh my God, that did happen. Holy shit, that happened. Now that I'm an adult, like my mom and I openly talk about sex. And some people think that it's fucking weird that I talk to my mom about sex my father passed away in uh 2002 but um my mom started dating one of her first boyfriends that she had in El Salvador maybe about this must have been almost 10 years ago and uh she talked to me about how does sexual intimacy work if you don't want to have a child I'm like oh my god mom girl we got to talk about this like Sex isn't just about procreation, it's about a way of connecting with somebody that you care about, somebody that you love. Or, and I know you don't want to hear this, mom, somebody that you just want to fuck. Um, She wasn't interested in that part, but she had a boyfriend that she wanted to, you know, explore stuff with and uh, it it felt very liberating to be able to talk to my mom about how you can have sex to please yourself and the other person that you're with. And when I tell people about the conversation, they think it's like, oh, my God, I can never talk to my mother about sex. My twin brother he was even like, yeah, I would not be able to have that conversation with mom. I don't know how you could do that with her. And it's just so weird. Like, I'm just like, I mean, we're all sexual beings, you know, it's just like, yeah, I talked to mom about sex. But I will never bring up that thing about like, do, do you remember when you caught me masturbating when I was five or six years old? That's something I can never talk to my mom about. We would always go to the mall to the movies and do shopping and stuff or sometimes like our parents would just drop us drop me and my friends there and we just spend a couple hours there either going to the movies or like, you know, just shooting the shit. When I was 12, I went to the restrooms in the food court at the Montebello Mall. And I remember I was sitting down in the stalls and then I looked over to where the the seat covers. All right. And I looked over and I saw that there was none there, but not only were there no um, seat covers, it was connected to the next stall and I could see into the next stall. I saw a guy's face there and he must've been a lot older, but rather than get scared, I got a little turned on. I was like, oh my God, this guy's gonna see me. I have such an ugly body, but I definitely wanna see his. And I remember like he was looking in like this and then he just saw me, he just like straightened up. And then I looked over and all I could see was like his torso and like, you know, his tummy. He was pretty athletic, which I thought was hot. <laughs> and then I could see like his really strong muscular legs. And I saw like his boxers or briefs, you know, his, you know, pubic bush and like his dick was like, sh- like standing straight up. I was like, wow. Oh my god that looks so fucking hot you know and i knew what like a hard dick was i was 12 i was jerking off a lot back then well i guess after a moment he just started stroking it and uh yeah i just stayed there for the show and i waited till he left and i stayed there hoping that another guy would do the same thing but then i got too scared and i left After that, I was like, whoa, if this happens at this restroom, I wonder if it happens at other restrooms at the malls. But of course, that was like the only mall that I would ever go to. So when I would go shoot the shit with my friends and stuff, you know, like I'm sure my friends at a certain point were like, wow, why does Salvador go to the restroom all the time? Because every chance I could get, I would go like to the restroom at the mall food court. And I kind of felt pervy, but at the same time, it felt really hot. That's when I started learning how guys would like tap their foot in between the stalls. And then if you tap, tap back, you would see a guy get on his knees and his big old dick would be popping up underneath the stall. But I was like 12 and 13 and 14 when that happened. So I was just like, if it required me touching them, it was like, no, 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 no. Because watching a guy jerk off doesn't make me gay, but touching a guy's dick and jerking him off will make me gay. So yeah, I was just there for the show a lot of the times. I loved reading as a kid. Like, we'd go to the library so much. So I go read books and newspapers and everything. So I knew that. I had a really awesome resource and that was the library. So I would always like make my way towards like the gay short stories. I first learned about the mechanics of gay and queer sex by reading the Penguin Book of Gay Short Stories. And there was one story that really stuck with me. Um, This is probably like when I was 14 or 15. I was already in high school. And there (laughs) there was a story The only thing I could remember was lingonberries, lingonberries. It was about some guy that went to visit a friend's farm and they were harvesting lingonberries and he tasted the lingonberries on the the family friend's son's lips. I got to find the story because that one like would make me feel like my heart like, oh, my God, this is what gay love could be like. And also, like, oh, my God, I got to go fucking rub one out right now. Um, Every time they would come out with a new edition of the Penguin Book of Gay Short Stories, I would always rent it from the library and I'd keep it for weeks on end. And, you know, like I had this safety net of like if I had queer books with me, like it was because I was a literature fiend. Like I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go to college and I'm going to study English lit and creative writing. I just got to read as many books as possible. That was my cover, of course. At a certain point, I started buying XY Magazine and it came out monthly. So I would buy an issue and put it in the secret stowaway bag in my backpack. And each month I would do that. My bag would get progressively heavier. And I remember I carried that backpack everywhere with me, but it started becoming a bit of a burden when like, I had like 20 issues of XY Magazine in my bag. (laughs) I didn't have room for anything else in there. Um, Some of them were like, you know, Love stories. And then some of them like by Simon Shepherd, it was like, oh yeah, like it was graphic. The Joy of Gay Sex was out and I was like, I would stay at the library and read it within, between the stacks. The new Joy of Gay Sex came out. When I came out of the closet, um, I was like 18 years old. And that's where I learned the A to Zs of like gay sex. I remember reading about rimming and I was like, that's fucking disgusting. And even though it said rimming in the book, I'm like, ew, that's tossing someone's salad. <laughs> and if you think about like who I am today and what I love doing, like tongue fucking and chewing on a guy's hole is my favorite thing to do nowadays. And it's just funny to think about like when I was younger, like how it would, like confused, disgusted, and also like nervous laughter. All these things that for me like I didn't allow myself to be open to, I now indulge in as an adult. I think one of the first times that I experienced sexual pleasure by myself was on one of the random trips that we would always take with our family to Las Vegas. My dad would go gamble. My mom would go with him and then like me and my twin brother you know, we would go to the arcades to play video games or like eat at the buffets. We'd come back to the hotel room and our parents wouldn't be there. And we knew that one of the things that you could get in a hotel room in Las Vegas was like Cinemax or Spice or whatever the porno channels were. And I know that if you turn to those channels if you didn't order the film, you could still kind of make out stuff in the scrambled jumble of the TV. There was a certain point that me and my twin brother were like, oh, fuck it. Like, we don't need a card. We just need to tell them, you know, make a really old sounding voice and be like, yeah, we'd like to order, you know, Cinemax or Cinemax or whatever the hell people called it. There was two pornos that I remember specifically. One of them was like these cheerleaders that were like fucking these football players, but it wasn't just like straight up fucking. It was like bad dialogue and like really like womp bumpy type of like 70s music. Uh, I remember there was this one scene where like all these football players were like laying out on the field and then like the cheerleaders were like mounting their dicks to this day. I still hear that music and I still see like the horrible like 1970s like cheerleader outfits and football uniforms I remember I think like my brother was in the chair behind me and I was like sitting like in front of the TV and I think like we were both playing with our hard-ons but like trying to make it so that the other wouldn't know because I think if my twin brother and I knew that we were both jerking off in the same room that would be fucking weird but I remember um like me I was just like there like you know just fucking like oh just rubbing myself and stuff like this and I was just like Trying to control my breathing because I'm like, I, I came maybe like three different times because like I would get really aroused again and stuff. And I would just like, and it was so hard stifling an orgasm when you're that age because like it's all about sex. But like I remember each time like I would like look at the women's breasts and I was just like, even then, 12, 13 years old, I was like, I'm not into that. But it's so fucking weird. But I was into like seeing the guy's dick like slide inside her pussy. The other porno that we saw that just stays in my mind, I think maybe Peter North was in it. Peter North was in every, like, straight, bisexual, and gay film on the planet. He had this mirror that if he looked at it hard enough, um, he would be able to turn into another person, I think it was. Or I remember that he would be able to turn into a woman. And he would be able to, like feel the sensations of a woman's body. He would basically turn into this woman. So this other, like this female porno actor would play him and she would like go like start getting fucked by guys and like doing like a bunch of like different orgies and stuff and then he would go back, turn back into him, his male self and then join the orgy and like fuck the women that he was having lesbian sex with. It was weird. But I remember, for me, I thought it was just kind of hot because I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, when he's a woman, he's feeling guys inside of her. And I'm like, if he's a dude and he's able to play this out as a woman, it's kind of like, this is a safe way for him to be gay. And I just thought, I started thinking about sex and sexuality. I started thinking also sex and sexuality and gender. Like, I was like, huh. Like, it was hot, but it was also, like, on an intellectual level, I was like, wait a second. Like... It's not just about being gay or straight, like, and it's so weird to think that I got that out of like this 1980s porno. I had gone to public school, like before going to Catholic high school. And I met Nick in my freshman year, uh, but we didn't actually start talking and developing a relationship until the end of our sophomore you're going into that summer between sophomore and junior year. But my brother was friends with him, and the guy kept on borrowing a lot of my punk rock CDs. And like one day he called my house and he was like, oh, is, you know, is your brother there? And I was like, no, I'm like, and I was like acting so disaffected, but also like kind of like annoyed with him. And then we just started talking and I don't know how the hell it happened, but we, we started hanging out together. And he was also athletic, like he was like Skinny Bone Jones, but like, you know, he was in football, so he was kind of athletic. Um, He was a nose guard in the football team, which to this day, I have no idea what the fuck a nose guard is. I don't know. But there was a difference in who we were and where we were coming from. And I think I was kind of attracted to that. Uh, We started like running in the mornings together, like two mile runs in the morning in summer. And then like we'd just stay at each other's houses, mostly me at his house because he was unsupervised. But yeah, like we would be like cuddling in bed and like, you know, like kissing each other on the back of the neck and like kissing each other like on the cheek and the forehead. And I thought it was just like, it was such a rush for me. Like, I was like, oh my God. I would always spend the night at this place if I could. We would fall asleep in each other's arms in the the garage bedroom. And like eventually throughout the summer, we would end up like holding hands and like, we went to Catholic school. So we were taught that if you (laughs) touch somebody of the same sex in a sexual way that you would get AIDS. So there was a, a limit to what me and Nick would actually do with it like when we would do like heavy petting and like, you know, rubbing each other's crotches against each other was always with our underwear on or like making out, you know, it's like we would always like, you know, grab each other's butts or backs or it's funny too, like we would grab each other's nipples. And I think that was the first time I experienced like, oh my God, my nipples, I, I could feel sexual sensations with my nipples. I think that's how I got good at kissing. Cause that was like the most intense thing we would do. He would do like yeah, he would do the most ridiculous things to like make me happy and comfortable. But I remember like uh I'd be like, I'm gonna take a shower. He's like, Okay, hold on, before you do that. He would take the big ass speakers from the front room and he would like take them into the restroom so that he could play like punk rock records for me while I was in the shower. And it was just this dumbest but cutest sweetest thing ever and then he would just do all these other things for me like beforehand um for some reason like our thing was after we'd go on our two mile run we would go to the local Kentucky Fried Chicken and get like the sweet and tangy barbecue wings and we would just share them together and I know it sounds disgusting but like at the end of it and stuff when me and him were walking back home like we would take each other's fingers and we'd go to like lick the the sauce off and it was like our thing it was like so like high school queer cuteness and it was just like thinking back to like my first love like it's like oh god like that was awesome but it was not awesome that we had to keep a secret that was so insular um we ourselves wouldn't acknowledge it the only time we'd actually acknowledge that we would do any of these physical things together was like when we were like half naked or all the way naked like in his bed like i was too scared to actually try that at my house because my mom was always around but yeah like when i would come home i would always like get on the phone and talk to him and i remember like my mom would get really like upset she'd be like you spent all day with this boy this summer day that day and she'd be like what is it like what is it like do you love this kid or something and you know of course i'm like no mom of course not like that would be weird Um, And one day I'm just talking to him on the phone after I came home from like spending like two days at his house and my mom, you know, when you're on the phone with somebody back then and you can be like, oh shit, somebody else is on the line. And I was just like talking to Nick and I was like, mom? But I remember my mom started banging the phone and Nick hung up and then my mom came to my room and she like smashed the phone into pieces. and, And I was like, oh my God. And she just said, I don't understand why you're doing this. She's like, why do you have to talk so quietly? And what were you trying, why were you saying to him? And I just start to think like, you know, it's just like, are you in love with this guy? Like, if you're in love with him, tell me because I'm trying to understand this. And I, and for me, I'm like 16 years old. Like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't want you to find out this secret. Like, you know, this wonderful thing that I finally found with somebody. Um, as twisted as it was, you know, I was just like, I just, I want this to remain like our little secret. Um, And it was at that point, like, my mom just forbid me from going to Nick's house. And that was, like, towards the end of the summer. The Catholic church that was in our neighborhood, we ended up going to the fair. We held hands going there. And then when we got to the front of the church, we're like, okay, like, the the fair is in the back of the church. If people see us there, regardless if we're holding hands or not, like, people are going to know, like, something's going on because... For the last two years, you've been a part of the football team. Like, clicks were like super clicky. Something's gonna happen if we go there together. And well, I forgot the exact words that he said, but he said, you know, something along the lines like, you know, I don't care what happens as long as I'm with you. We started walking towards the fair. He got really nervous, and I do remember he started shaking. And I just held him, held his arms, and I just started caressing him. And I told him everything was gonna be okay, that I would never let anybody hurt him. I didn't care that we were in front of the church. I didn't care that community people were around us. Like I just like held him close to me, and then like I just kissed him on the top of his head, and then I kissed his cheek and his lips, and then he's like stopped shaking, and we went into the fair, and it was weird. Like you know, we didn't hold hands, but like we were standing together, and a bunch of like football jocks that he grew up with started like circling us, and they were like, "Hey, Big Nick! Hey, Big Nick! What are you doing with this faggot? Like, what are you doing?" But like those guys would only say stuff, but they would never do something to me. Like I know that one thing that I'm really grateful for is my size. I've always been a very burly person, so husky, if you will. And um, like any anyway, if people talk shit to me, like that's all that would happen. They wouldn't like never come to blows because people are scared of my size. I remember the guys were just crowding us and they're like, Why are you with this fucking weirdo? This and that, and I was like And Nick was getting very, like, shutting down, and I was like, oh, shit. So I was just like, you know, I just put my armor on him, and then I'm like, we don't have to be here. We can just go back to your place and listen to Crass. That was the band that we connected over. We can go listen to Crass and the Misfits and, you know, just do our own thing. So we did that. But it was very fucking scary. (laughs) Um, I think Push came to shove with him. There was a couple more, like, little bouts where my mom, like, intercepted and... I think it just became too much. As much as I missed Nick after we broke up, I really missed the connection that I had with his mom. His mom was amazing. Sylvia was amazing. And I wish that my mom would have reacted the way that Sylvia did. We would always talk when, you know, she would come home, she'd make dinner, I would help her. I would tell her everything up until the fact that, you know, it's just like, you know, I love your son. And I'm pretty sure that his mom knew that he was gay. I remember one time she said, I just want to tell you thank you for coming into my son's life because this is the first time in a really long time that I see my son actually being passionate about something or someone. And she's just like, you bring that out in him. And he really cares about you a lot. And he always talks about, you know, how he wants to protect you. And I didn't know, I thought it was just like between me and him, but like to know that he was talking to his mom about this stuff, like even though I felt loved by my family, like the kind of love you get from your family is not the same that you get from, you know, a lover or a partner. And it was amazing to hear like his mom tell me that everything that I was feeling about him, he was feeling about me. And uh, the reality of, Summer ending and going back to school, like Nick realized that, I don't know, something had to give. When we got back to school, he stopped communication with me, started talking, started getting reconnected with his football friends. Word spread around that I was the faggot that was trying to make moves on this straight football player all summer. When he stopped talking to me, when I knew that it was over, um, I actually wrote his mom a letter. I just, in such a coded way, I was like, I don't know what else I can do and stuff, but you know, it's like, I'm always gonna have love for your son in my heart and blah, blah, blah. I got a response from her and it was very positive. And she said that I made a really good impact on her son, but sometimes he's very stubborn. But I remember like, he actually found the letter that I wrote to his mom. And we had like this blowout on campus once, me and him. And I remember he said, he's just like, you wrote a fucking letter to my mom? Like, what the fuck? He's just like, why would you do that? I'm like, I said, I'm like, your mom knows everything about us. And he's like, there's nothing about us. I remember him telling me, there's nothing about us. And I was just like, your mom fucking knows. So I said, I'm like, you can keep on lying to yourself, but know that your mom fucking knows about us. But... You know, like he denied it and called me a faggot, and I just felt really abandoned, just super abandoned and used and like not appreciated. Like I started doing suicidal ideation, which was not something that was uncommon. Like I would do suicidal ideation ever since I was eight. Like there was always something wrong with me. My parents would fight a lot and. I would internalize it thinking that it was because of me and it wasn't. It was about shit that had nothing to do with me, but you know, none of that shit was ever my problem. But especially like when the thing with Nick happened, I was like, oh my God, like I'm the cause of this. Like if only I was normal and I liked girls, you know, if only I was, if only, like it was always a long list of if onlys. And I met this girl that I came out to her uh, and Liz was kind of like, the cheerleader who wanted to do routines like to old school ska I don't know we connected like I was this you know punk rock kid punk rock artistic musical kid and she was just like the outcast of the cheerleaders but and she told me that she was raped at a party and uh that the guys that raped her said that you know that she was asking for it and that she egged them on and stuff and That people didn't believe her that she was raped, and she felt like killing herself. And I remember telling her, um, "Have you heard those rumors about me and Nick?" And she's like, "Yeah, but I don't believe them because you wouldn't do that to somebody. You know that I wouldn't like force myself on somebody." And and I told her, "You know, uh, everything about him and I is true except." I never forced myself on him. He was a willing participant. But I told her that, you know, that he turned his back on me and that I felt like killing myself. So we made a suicide pact that if things didn't improve in our life within a year that we would kill ourselves together. And yeah, like she wound up overdosing a year later. And I'm so glad that I decided not to follow through with the Losing Liz and knowing that she had my back when I came out to her gave me the strength to actually you know be out and proud regardless of people's reactions to it and uh, yeah like through that like trauma like Liz was and forever will be like the sister that i never had. My summer junior year going into senior year, I was part of a all city band in the city of Santa Fe Springs. And we would be mixed in with students from like all these schools from Santa Fe Springs, but then also it'd be a lot of students from our Catholic school. Um, We ended up becoming friends with like, you know, kids like bando kids from other schools. And one person that I gravitated towards immediately was uh, this guy named Hector, who was a clarinet player. He was like this stocky, like stocky, but firm Latino guy. And he was a senior, very flamboyant, you know, girls love him to be around because he's very friendly and he's very like, like them, but non-threatening because he's gay and he's not going to try to get into their pants. I didn't like his personality, but damn, like he had a fucking amazing ass, a nice chest, uh, very thick, muscular legs. Um, There was this girl named Julie, I forget her name. I forget her full name, anyway, whatever. So Julie would always host these parties where all the fucking band kids would come. And I remember, I think like my twin brother couldn't go to the party, but I really wanted to go. And I wanted to go, especially when I found out that Hector was gonna be able to give me a ride there. And like the minute I get in his car, it's just me and him. There was supposed to be other people there. I don't know if he planned it or not, but it was was just me and him driving to Julie's house. And it was maybe like a 10, 15 minute ride to her house. I don't know what it was. I think we both kind of like clocked each other as being queer. But I remember we started getting into this conversation about how like we started daring each other on the ride over there, like to do gay stuff, to prove that we weren't gay. <laughs> and I think like for me, like after like already experiencing like, you know, the trials and tribulations of like bathroom cruising, I was like, I know where this is going. Like we just started daring each other. And I remember at a certain point it was just like, like, I dare you to rub your hand on my thigh you know and I was just like why it's like no no just to do it i'm like all right so you know did that by the time we actually got to julie's house we were parked outside for like 30 minutes after that like you know there was like some tension building up i started getting a boner immediately because i remember i'd already like you know caressed his inner thigh and like you know like i'm really into sensorial touch play as an adult now and i think i started getting my first experiences with it during that dare session with him we went inside for the party. There was a lot of sexual tension between me and, it, and him. We started like stealing a bunch of glances and touches at the party together. We were like, we were both like testing each other to see how far we would go. After the party, we ended up back in his car. We got to a point where I just went for it. I don't know how, like, but I ended up pulling his dick out. I'm like, I bet I can rub your dick and and you'll get hard. And he's just like, I bet that I I won't get hard. I'm like, okay, let's try. I started playing with his balls and I was just super happy to actually like play with somebody's dick. And I was just like, I'm going to touch your balls. And I'm going to touch your dick. And I don't care if I get AIDS and die, <laughs> but he had foreskin as well. So I was just like pulling back on it. And I was just like, and then like, you know, it's like, I just started jerking him off. And that's probably the first time I realized, oh, I think I have a big dick, but I was like jerking him off. He had a like fat dick, but it wasn't too, too long. And like, I knew what this was. I was just like, oh my God, I'm jerking him off. Like, I know this because I do this to myself all the time. And I was just like, so taken aback with the way, like he was like, "Ah, "Oh, like that. And I was like, holy shit, just like when I do it. And then like, this idea of having control of either making him come or just leaving him blue balled. It was just fucking hot. And I remember at that point he was like, I bet if you put your mouth over it, you're not gonna like it like you know basically telling me what he wanted me to do and I'd be like nah I think that's when I also like found that I like doing like power play stuff by the time his dick was out I was the one doing the stuff to him I didn't want him to touch my dick because I thought that if he touched my dick he got his hands on it I would get AIDS I ended up making him come and it was amazing like I was like oh my god this is holy shit this is all but I couldn't be like oh my god that's so hot because I was like still in the mindset of I can't make him think that I'm gay even after like jerking him off. But I remember the thing that scared me was not if somebody in the um, housing complex saw us, but I got a bit of his cum on my hand and I freaked out. And I was like, oh my God. And I think I must've said, I'm like, I'm gonna get AIDS. <laughs> it's so stupid. Like I was like, cause I felt like if I was just, you know, it started rationalizing. So long as I don't get his cum on me, I'm not gonna get AIDS and I'm not gonna die. I remember after that, he would push for us to hang out and I'd be like, no, I'm good. I just wanted to have like a sexual encounter with him. And that was it. Like for me, it was about experimenting. It's like, that's when I started like really getting into the idea of sexual conquest. When I was in high school, I was very like angry and sad and mad and pissed off. I was 18, just trying to, graduate and go to college I would tell myself every morning like when you walk down the hallways don't swing your arms like don't do anything that happy people do like just try to get by and like without making any waves and if people try to talk to you just tell them to go fuck themselves and then it it got compounded when like like Nick broke up with me and then like when my best friend died and I was just like I was just really angry with a lot of people and I didn't know how to verbalize it. But I remember when I went to college, I was like, okay, when you go to this school, like, don't be the miserable fuck that you've been these last four years. You're fucking queer, you're fucking here, and motherfuckers better get used to it. College, like, I was able to, you know, reinvent myself. And I was like, my name's Salvador, I'm bisexual. I started exploring my gender identity more. And like, I I didn't fully have like, full on gay sex until I was 19. But there was this guy named David, like he was this part Latino, Native American, older guy. I was 19. He was 39 years old at the time. He had 18 piercings all on his face and he was all tatted up, shaved head, barrel chested, like bear archetype, everything about him. I was like, fuck. I want to get naked with that guy for my first time. Um, I used to um, hang out at Penny Lane Records in Uptown Whittier. And David would come in to like peruse the records and stuff. And I introduced myself and, you know, I told him, yeah, like, you know, I've had some experience with guys, but, you know, like I've always, I've had a crush on you for a really long time, but I also want to let you know that I'm kind of a virgin. And... He was very caring and he was just like, okay, he's like, if we're gonna do this, I just want you to have all the information before we actually, you know, decide to get into this uh, consensual transaction. And he was using like all this, like really like hippy dippy language. And I was like, a consensual transaction, wow. And you know, like he told me about the risks about having, you know, being an HIV negative person, having sex with an HIV positive person even though his viral load was low and, and then he said so if you want to put on your clothes and just like hang out and cuddle that's cool he's like if you want to explore some stuff then you know let's uh, let's explore he's like i think you're a very handsome and a very sexy person and if you're not used to hearing that then i'm going to keep on telling you that until you actually believe it i don't know why i just thought that was really powerful i was like holy shit and i already know from the stories that my friends have told me that this is not how sex works for people their first times. And I was like, all right, cool. I still wanna have sex. He's like, all right, cool. He's like, why don't you hop in the hot tub and I will, you know, I'll give you a bath. And I was like, oh God, this is so luxurious. I got in the clawfoot bathtub that he had at his place and he started like washing every part of my body and it it was so essential and hot. Like I was like, oh my God. And he washed my butt, (laughs) but (laughs) this is before I knew like, In gay sex, you have to get inside the butt to actually clean the butt. So there's no shit like when you do shit. (laughs) That sounds so stupid. Anyways, you know what I mean? I dry off, wore naked. And then like, he's like, all right. He's just like, I'm going to give you a blowjob. And I was just like, all right. And then I'm like, do you know what that is? I'm like, yeah, you're going to suck my dick. (laughs) Sorry, it sounds so silly right now. (laughs) He was showing me how to suck dick. He was like curling the lips over the teeth so the teeth doesn't get in contact with your cock. And he's like, if a guy ever uses his teeth, he's either trying to hurt you or he doesn't know what he's doing. He's like, it's not a bad thing to say, hey, don't use teeth, please. And it was like informative, but also hot. Like, he's just like, if a guy has foreskin, like you and I do, he's just like, you know, you could like, you could play on the foreskin any number of ways. It was like having Dr. Ruth, but having Dr. Ruth be this really like hot, beefy bear. And I was like, oh my God, this is hot. So, you know, he sucked my dick, he played with my nipples, he like did sensorial touch play. We kissed, we made out, he would nibble my ears. That's where I ended up finding out that the back of my neck is super erogenous. And not just the back of my neck, but like the whole of my back and stuff. And then I remember I was on my stomach and he was just like, oh, he called me mijo and I thought it was so hot to have a guy that was 20 years older than me call me that. He's like, do you like to get rimmed? And I was just like, you mean toss my salad? Oh God, I fucking hate that term. He's just like, it's called rimming, meho. I'm like, <clears throat> I started laughing and then I'm like, you want to toss my salad? And he was just like, he got serious and he's just like, we're not going to use that term here. He's like, I want to explore your asshole with my tongue. And I was like, yeah, I'm open to it. Like everything else has felt good with you. And yeah, like, I think I was just so like in my head about it. like. I didn't let myself enjoy it. And I remember, oh God, this is the embarrassing part. He's eating my ass out. And I'm just like there, like, it's like going all over. And he's like, it feels like he's cleaning my ass with his tongue. And then I'm just like, oh my God, I have to fart. I didn't say it, but I just felt it. I was like, <gasps> like that dread. I'm like, <gasps> I just squeezed my sphincter and he stops. And then he goes, just let it out, mijo. I was like, oh no, oh my God. Does he know I need a fart? How does he know? <sighs> and then he goes, he's just like, he's like I want to taste all of you. And I just get so freaked out. I'm like, what? And my sphincter just like, in that surprise moment, it's like, <laughs> on his face, like on his tongue. And, this, and all I hear is, oh, oh yes, mijo, oh, give me all of it. And I'm just like, oh my God. And then I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said that and he was just like, like, oh mijo, it's fine. And then I'm like, I'm sorry. No, it's <clears throat> again. I'm like, oh my God, like I had gas. And I was like, oh, so mortified. I'm like, can we do something else? Cause I just did not feel well. And then, like, I go to, like, he's just like, I want you to taste your ass on my mouth. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. And he comes up to me to kiss me. And then I smell shit on his lips. And I'm like, I just saw him like, oh, my God, was I not clean? And then he's just like, he's like, it's okay, mijo. He's like, I like tasting all of you. And I'm like, you need to clean your mouth before you put it back on my mouth. And, like, as he was cleaning himself up, I'm like, did I have shit back there? I'm like, but you cleaned my butt. And then he's like, yeah. He's like, did you eat my shit? I am so stupid. I've never talked to anyone about this. But I was like, did you eat my shit? He's like, no, mijo. He's like, I just used my tongue to push a little bit over to the side. And then I kept on licking you. I was like, oh, my God. But, yeah, that's the first time I had sex. <laughs> that is quite a, a comprehensive <laughs> I, I'm surprised that he didn't teach you how to clean out. He didn't. I ended up learning that a few years way later. But he seems so comprehensive about everything else. I know, but I think because he was into raunch, he wasn't going to fully go through the whole. Yeah. Yeah. hmm hmm Wow, intense. Yeah, I'll say. Well, the best move comes from my tongue. I love eating ass so much. You know how they have, like, that little food pyramid? Eating ass is on the top of my food pyramid. I love when a dude starts moaning when I'm just tongue-fucking his hole. It's the best thing on the planet. Especially, like, I try to get my tongue in as deep as possible. And and I I don't know if it's, like, the body temperature of the dude or what. But it's, like, I hit this, like, sweet spot. And it's just, like... Like, I tell guys, you know, it's like, be shower fresh, squeaky clean in a strap. We're gonna fuck. Cause, I mean, even if it doesn't get to fucking, like, you know, I love, I love accepting the challenge of being able to make a guy come by just eating his ass out. Cause it's happened before. And it's so fucking hot. What's your preferred position? The- okay, can I tell you, like, my preferred scenario is also my preferred position. My biggest fantasy is to come to a dude's house and find the door unlocked, let myself in, lock the door behind me, undress, strip down to my jockstrap. I have a big jockstrap fetish. Um, And then find the guy someplace in the house, naked on all fours in a jockstrap with his ass in the air and preferably with a blindfold on. So he doesn't know if I'm gonna stick my dick in his mouth or stick my dick in his ass or my tongue in his ass. But usually I'll go for the ass. I love having a guy on all fours with his ass in the air and just like slowly starting to, you know, tongue fuck his hole. Like just get the outer perimeter, chew on the cheeks, biting the buns in the hole, doing the ABCs with my tongue in his hole. Then like alternating between sucking back on his balls while stroking him, pulling his dick back, sucking on it, and then pulling the balls to the side and trying to get his, his dick to like touch his hole. And I like to play just the tip in between and then just taste my dick on their hole. I am an addict and an alcoholic. I've been clean and sober since October 20th of 2003, and it's something that I'm really open about. And that relates to the psychology of my sexual behavior because I was a straight edge punk rock kid, like no drinking, no drugs, no sex. And then when I reinvented myself, I kind of like threw everything by the wayside and started started trying new things, in addition to tossing salad. From the moment I had sex with David until I um, got introduced to alcohol and crystal methamphetamine. When I was 21, I treated sex like a drug. Like I would have, I would find guys at like the bathroom stalls, the gym, uh, Craigslist, any number of like online apps, like web-based apps for hookups. It was like between five and 10 different new guys each week. Like for me, I was like, oh, I'm just making up for lost time because everybody started having sex when they were like 15, 16. And I barely started when I was 19. So I'm just making up for lost time. But really, it was a sex addiction that I did not know how to address. So on April 1st of 2002, I got a call from my family. I was living in San Francisco, going to SF State, and my family was down in L.A. And I remember getting a call saying that something happened to my dad and I needed a call because he was in the hospital. I thought it was a really fucked up April Fool's joke, Um, but then I ended up calling. uh, I talked to my mom, but she was like a mess. I couldn't make out what she was saying, so um, I called my my cousin. Like she just told me, "Miho, like your dad, he had hemorrhaging at the brain and he's in a coma." Uh, By the time we got to LA, like my dad was like brain dead. He was breathing through a machine. I remember like going through like his wake and stuff, and I was just like. I just wanted to disassociate myself from stuff. And I remember the last time I felt very disassociated from my body. And reality was when I got drunk and when I smoked pot for the first time. So after about spending a week in LA, like I came back to the Bay Area. And even though I was going to school and stuff, like that was not my main focus. I just wanted to not feel the feelings that I was feeling. So I started drinking copious amounts of alcohol throughout the day smoking pot. Like I had this guy who did a lot of pot. So I was just like, I was dating this guy. So I was just like, yeah, let's just get stoned. He's like, I thought you didn't like that. I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, let's just get fucking stoned. And then I started more indulging more in like having guys over for sex. And a lot of times the guys would come over, they'd have like this white powder that they would smoke out and like in these things. And I was just like, oh, I'm like, ew, that's meth. That's the thing that my best friend, like one of the things that she OD'd on in high school. Um. And then one day I was just like, fuck it. Yeah, give me that pipe. Crystal meth was the one thing that made me immediately forget whatever was like keeping me down. So like for 18 months, there was never a span of like more than 24 hours where I wasn't on meth. Like today, I weigh 285 pounds. At my worst on meth, I weighed 160 pounds. The thing that made me stop and realize, you know, that I had an addiction was I had an 11 day run of full psychosis, 11 days of no sleep. It was crazy. And that's when I reached out for help and, you know, 12 step came into my life. And I think the first meeting that I went to was on October 20th of 2003 and I've been clean and sober ever since. And that addressed my addiction issues, my addiction to alcohol, drugs, and sex. Before sobriety, sex was just like, come as you go. Like, you know, it's like whenever I could get it, however men I could get it with, with however many substances I could get. And like now, like, you know, it's it's different. I'm a hell of a lot more picky. Like, I'm still very slutty. Like, that's one thing I hold on to. My husband and I have been married um, since, uh, June 3rd of 2018, uh, we've had an open relationship ever since we started dating and we continue with that open marriage. And then to throw a little wrench in the system, I'm also polyamorous. He's not, but I am. My, my heart has been only open to him since we got married. Uh, and I just say, I hope I don't fall in love with anybody else because being married is a big, big job and it takes a lot. And I can only imagine what it would be like if I had a boyfriend as well as a husband. I mean, if I do have sex outside of me and my husband, it's with like a really like small, I mean, I guess I would say cast of long-term lovers that I've had. Even though I'm on prep and I get tested every like three months, it just makes things a lot easier to just have like a certain, a set of intentional lovers that, you know, I have sex with. But then also like intentional lovers for me is not just about sex, it's also about intimacy. Like intimacy has become more of a priority to me since I've grown older. There's so much I want to tell myself from when I was a kid. Like, you know, if I would have been able to tell a little virgin cell that he would be like, that he or she or they would be living, you know, their best life today, like, fuck, I wish I could actually like reach in and be like, girl, seriously, like, don't give up. Stop blaming yourself for things, fuck. Even for things that you had no control over. I also want to tell Little Bridge and Sal that if you touch another boy's penis, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to get AIDS and that you're automatically going to die. The folks at Catholic school are fucking lying to you. And also, it's not a bad thing to be slutty. Don't slut shame, seriously. Uh, Keep yourself open to a lot of possibilities, uh, sexually and otherwise. Don't let other people tell you who you should be, how you should identify. You mean more to people than you tell yourself you mean. And that if no one has said this to you today, I wanna tell you today that I love you very much. And that if you are not in this planet, there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to get the opportunity to know how awesome and loving you are. Get a therapist. Get on antidepressants already. You don't have to wait until you're 33 years old to stop hearing those voices in your head that tell you to kill yourself. It's not healthy. It's not your fault. And you know what I'm talking about. you had no part in those men raping you. My experience with being like raped and sexually assaulted happened here in the Bay Area, and that's why it took me forever to come back here. I think it's very important to talk about rape and sexual assault, especially at the hands of like male-identified folks with other male-identified folks. There are some really fucking horrible bad people out there. And it doesn't make you damaged goods or less than. You are still lovable and capable of loving other people. And your mom is your best friend. And you have a husband that really loves you. Your life is eons better than what you could imagine it to be. Like things are not as bad as they seem. Trust me.
0: Fruit Bowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. If you or someone you know is in suicidal crisis or emotional distress, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 800-273-8255. If you're a queer youth under the age of 25 and need someone to talk to, The Trevor Project offers accredited, life-saving, life-affirming programs and services to LGBTQ youth that create safe, accepting, and inclusive environments over the phone, online, and through text. Call or text The Trevor Project at one 488 7386 or find more resources at thetreverproject.org Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com, where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Larger donations and sponsorships are tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal sponsorship with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit FruitBullPodcast.com for links and contact information. FruitBull is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Sarah B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.